Hey everyone, this is Sara Zarbi and you're listening to It Was Worth It, a podcast about entrepreneurship, culture and innovation here in the Middle East. On today's episode, we have Nawal Masri, the founder of Exhale. Exhale is a clothing brand that features artists from the Middle East to tell stories. Their clothes aren't the type that you just slap on a t-shirt and print. Their clothes tell a story through art. Nawal's platform reminds us of Tawahadna, a previous guest that we had here on the show. Similar to Stavros, she features and supports artists from the region by marketing them on her platform. Something that artists so badly need here in the Middle East. Exhale has raised 1.8 million dirhams in funding since its inception two years ago. Exhale doesn't just sell clothes. Exhale is a clothing brand about mental health. Noelle's story begins when she was only 15 years old, when she experienced anxiety for the first time. What I was really curious to know was, at such a young age, how does someone realize that what they're feeling is actually something that they can go out and seek help for. How did I realize? Well, at the beginning, um, I didn't until I was 24. Um, I think that was lack of education from maybe my surrounding. But obviously everyone tells you it's anxiety, you're just stressed. uh, But I guess there was not a lot of focus on what is happening, whether it was the panic attacks or the seclusion or the overthinking or all of that. I was old enough to take myself to the doctor, um, a nerve doctor, um, who told me, basically, you should be seeing a therapist, not me, because we kind of did this whole like testing and all of that. And he's like, you seem pretty healthy. Everything's good. So he's like, I can either give you meds to calm your nerves uh, and you can maybe live on them or I can, or you can go fix yourself. So at 24, you don't really know what fixing yourself means, you know? Um, And when I asked him, what what, what does it mean to go fix myself? He goes, um, read about mental well-being, mental health, read about severe anxiety, read about depression, understand what these things are. Um, and try to journey through and see if you can start healing yourself without meds. So I did that from 24 to 28 for four years. But But at the the beginning you mentioned that people told you, you know, this is stress, this is anxiety, and then you decided that the best thing to do was to go to a neurologist, right? Mm. But how did you make that jump or... Did you just research? Did you ask people? Of course, I research a lot. I research a lot. I read a lot. Um, Obviously, Google, God bless Google, but you can't really always take what you read from Google because things can be not exaggerated, but you might be reading the wrong information for your situation. Um, It's always good to have a broad understanding and a broad sense and then relate these bits and pieces to yourself. I researched a lot about these things, um, but my uh, my reaction, like what what happened was, I used to get a lot of panic attacks, and the anxiety started transforming itself into physical pain. So when it started becoming physical pain, obviously you're going to go to a neurologist or any sort of doctor to just tell you what is wrong. So that's that's really the only reason I went to to a, to a neurologist. Because my uh, anxiety started flourishing into physical pain, like hands dying out, feet dying out. Um, I can't use my muscles or nerves anymore in in certain parts of my body. And uh, so, yeah, I went to check it out. And turns out it's not a nerve issue or a muscle issue. It's just, it's basically, it was anxiety. And you were in Saudi at that point? No, I was in Dubai. In Dubai? Yeah. Okay, because you waited until you were 24, you said. Yeah, I moved to Dubai 10 years ago, so I was around 20, uh, yeah, 1920 when I moved here. Okay. Yeah, I studied at the American University of Sharjah, 
Um, I moved here um, in, in winter, I remember, in January uh, 2010. Um, yeah. And so you're, when you went to see the neurologist, you were still studying? No, I had graduated. I graduated. Uh, I graduated 2013. Okay, so you had graduated, and then his advice to you was basically try to help yourself. Either try to help yourself, or take these antidepressants. I was. I wouldn't say I was against med medications, but I had to try it for myself to see what it meant to try to heal yourself. It is a rough journey. It was definitely a rough journey. Um, you can't accept meds when you don't know what they are. But even more so, you can't accept meds when you don't know what you have. So when you're taking medication, you really need to know and understand what you're taking it for, how is it going to soothe you, um, how's it gonna fix you, if you want to say? But there's no med that ever fixes you. To me, medication is a tool that humankind created to help you through your healing journey, to help your cells and your body heal faster, uh, teach it patterns that it has never knew before. Um, so I only accepted meds four years later. When I finally understood what I have, when I finally understood how these, medica how these medications work and how it will help me, because it won't fix me, right? I'm gonna fix me. But how will it help me fix me? So that's when I accepted medication, four years later, which is last year. And you didn't want to accept it until you knew and understood what they were and how they work or how you can use them to, to benefit. Yeah, it's just, I think it really all comes down to the doctor that's giving it to you, how he explains it to you. Um, it plays a huge role. Um, my doctor, his approach was, was different from the the many doctors that I've seen or psychiatrists or therapists that I've seen. Um, he sat me down and explained to me, these, med these meds are not going to fix you. And these meds don't have to be permanent, but they could be if you want them to. They are here to help you through your journey. They're here to help raise the serotonin levels that you don't have at the moment. They're here to help you create new patterns that you are not aware of or know how to create yourself because your past life didn't allow that kind of pattern, you know? My past life was integrated with a lot of patterns that had so much. So I'm also curious, um, the first time you went to see the neurologist, at that point, were you speaking to anyone about what was happening? Because, and the reason I bring this up is just because this topic is unfortunately still taboo. And a lot of people aren't comfortable opening up even to their closest friends or their family members. Yeah, of course. I speak a lot about it. I was very open uh, and I remain open. And, and even more so as I'm growing older and wiser about this topic I want to be even louder you know um, I think what increases mental illness is silence it increases it in an amount that is probably uncountable um, or a percentage that is uncountable because silence can overtake your overthinking, it can overtake your thought process and it exaggerates these things in your head and talking no matter who you're talking to, even if it's yourself through a mirror or to a friend or to a therapist it has to happen because it's a form of release and if you don't want to talk to someone you should journal 
I journal since I was five years old. <laughs> so, and not that I ever knew the importance of it back then. I just loved journaling my day, you know? Um, so you would say that if, if someone listening does, is going through something, whether it's a mental illness or anxiety or whatever it is, would you say that the best way is actually to to tell everybody or let it be known? No, you can't tell everybody. It's not that you can't, but it's not healthy to just go around telling people that might not benefit you because that can backfire. You need to speak to people who are well-informed, resonate, and that can help you back. Because if you're in a state where you need to talk, then you are not in a state to be able to get nothing in return or to be ignored or belittled. You are not in a state to do that, to, to have that. Because, because you're vulnerable. Yes, you're weak. You're vulnerable and you're looking for help. And if you see a door shut in your face while you're in that state of mind, it could be dangerous because then it will make you shut uh, shut down more and it will cause you to be more in silence. And that's not what you want. So talking to everybody and anybody, no, I don't recommend that. Choosing the right people you resonate with to talk to. And I really mean you got to resonate. And maybe they're the most beautiful human being, but they might not resonate in that topic. And that's okay. That doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them... It just makes them people that you can't go and talk to about this topic, period. Because maybe they haven't experienced it or they haven't seen it. They just don't understand what it is. Some people will simply never understand how this feels. And we need to stop trying to make them understand and just resonate with those who resonate you know and listen to those who understand it and talk to those who can benefit from each other not just benefit us but benefit from each other um because it could be it could be hurtful to continue talking to someone that that doesn't resonate with you because it just belittles your journey belittles and you your don't pain. feel understood yeah, of course you will not feel understood, which causes a whole different loop and a whole different anxiety. So, again, something that I, I read was that you were actually on vacation in Mykonos mm. and something happened while you were on vacation that led you to come up with the idea for Exhale. Mm. Um, yeah, my, I was, I went to Mykonos to attend the wedding. Um, and the second day, so I landed, attended a pre-wedding on the second day. I woke up in the morning around 6 a.m. to a phone call, um, from Canada, from my cousin. That's where I was born and, and raised. Um, that my grandfather was passing away and that he is on his last breath. And the phone call was, this is his last breath. His soul is literally leaving him. You have maybe a minute to tell him your last words. So imagine waking up at 5, 6 a.m. to that. Where was he? He was in Montreal. And were you close? Best friends. My grandfather was like, a godfather, best friend, buddy to each and every single one of his grandkids. He managed to have the most beautiful relationship between a grandparent and a granddaughter or a grandson that I've ever seen as of yet. Um, he was such a beautiful soul. So I did that. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, can, it's we can just... Tears are part of the process. So I did that and it shook me, you know. 
these moments in life shake you and they make you think twice about why you're living and what was worse in that journey was I couldn't be there for my mother to mourn her father and I couldn't be there with him to to mourn him um, and be with, there with my cousins so because at the time a huge storm hit Mykonos and the ferries and the planes everything was just on pause everything just came together in that weird weird way where okay so you're stuck here this is happening you suffer from severe anxiety and panic attacks and you're alone um, and your family is they're in another country and half in Dubai half in Montreal I was living in Dubai visiting Mykonos so so um, I sat there with the shock the pain and I sat in front of that storm on the balcony and I just looked at the world like wow there's a storm inside me <laughs> raging and there's a storm outside of me literally raging and the only thing I can tell myself was to breathe just breathe what literally can you do right now you can't fly you can't be with anyone you can't you can't do anything and in that moment I genuinely felt what it meant when they say surrender or Twakkal ala Allah I genuinely felt it rely on the divine and I'm like wow we scatter our brains and we go crazy and at the end of the day this is the truth of it all you must surrender so I thought about it and I didn't have one panic attack and I was weirded out because I was expecting like I'm gonna have a seizure panic attack or crazy no one to help me no pills to call me like I was flipping out but ironically I didn't have one panic attack and I was so resilient and, and, and steady and I'm and it's the first time that I meet myself in such a situation and be this steady so the word breathe meant a lot to me at that moment and I felt its weight and its importance so this is where exhale the word came to life in my life um, I actually wanted to tattoo it on my ribs in Mykonos and I didn't end up doing that I was at the tattoo parlor and as soon as he's like Zzz, I'm like alright I'm leaving <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening uh, I got scared um, so I finally was able to leave Mykonos um, finally was able to see my mother I went back to work at Unilever and I just sat there and thought to myself, what am I doing here? It's so at, at, at that point, basically, you, you were living in Dubai, working in Dubai at Unilever, yeah. working for like, you know, working with biggest brands like Dove, Fair and Lovely, and you're on vacation, this happened. But eventually you did, you did come back to Dubai. Um, but you didn't think you didn't think while you were in Mykonos about you know starting anything. No, 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 no. I just thought about the word exhale, and I knew for a fact. That's a fact. Whatever I do in life, even if it's as simple as tattooing it on my body, exhale has to be part of something. Exhale has to be part of something big. The word itself. If I create something, it's going to be called exhale. I didn't know what or what am I going to do or... No, that didn't come when I was in Mykonos. Just the word itself came to life and was born through that story and through that experience. 
Um, but it's only when I went back <clears throat> and sat on my desk that I started really asking myself, what am I doing? I realized that I'm a person who needs purpose. I need to create something or be part of something that's filled with purpose. That is either helping humanity or, or advocating for something or being an activist or for something. I couldn't wake up every day and sit on a desk. Not because that is something belittling, not at all. But because I didn't see it driving my soul, my fire. And I'm a person who needs a purpose to wake up to. So I decided I'm going to create that purpose. I'm going to create something for me to live for, for me to wake up for. And then eventually for the whole community that is surrounding us to wake up for. So it is not something for me, but it is something shared for everybody. So exhale is not just meant for me. Exhale is made for the for everybody, you know, to be part of something. Um, I think having I think having anxiety and depression, borderline depression and anxiety, um, you really need to wake up for something so you don't end up staying in bed. Um, because depression really drags you down and it sinks you. And your brain has to be stronger than the depression for you to get up every day. For you to get up every day. Um, because if you don't, then it just keeps getting worse. So yeah, I created Exhale. And I feel like I created it so I can get up in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. What I'm, what I'm also really curious about is when you work for such a huge company and working with big brands, a lot of the time what people get told is, you know, you have a good job, uh, you're making good money. You're an idiot to be. <laughs> yeah. And it takes a lot of courage for someone to actually give in their resignation. Um, so basically, my brand activation department was closed down at Unilever. After a couple of months of working on Exhale, the concept and everything between me, myself and I, uh, and, and obviously told a couple of friends that I wanted to help me with some financial, uh, understanding financial statements and business uh, decks and all that. Um, because you had studied brand- journalism. I studied journalism and I had zero information about business, genuinely zero. I just learned it as I went and I asked a lot and I connected a lot with the right people to educate me, to give me one hour, 30 minutes, 15 minutes of their time. Just tell me how to do things. Um, Like, how, how, do you, how do you register your business, for example? Or how do you make sure you're making profits and you're not going to go under? All of these questions. And do you need a marketing plan or not? All of these questions, I learned them along the way, and I'm going to answer them. But when I, when I understood my privilege, so what is a privilege? which is my family moved to Dubai. They bought a house here. My privilege was I can save money living with them. My privilege was I can focus on myself knowing that I have a support system of beautiful six people in the house, each who are entrepreneurs, each who are smart in their own sense, why not use it? And I understand when people say, don't leave your security, don't leave your job, your monthly salary that is secured. Some people can never get that. And in Unilever, they give you security, you know, in the sense of obviously your salary, insurance, 
benefits, gifts, etc. So I didn't, I don't see things that way. I don't see things how people see things. I didn't see things how my father saw things, where he didn't want me to leave. He wanted me to do both. But when my, when the activation department closed down and they wanted us to be interviewed for sales, that's when I'm like, huge acts, no way. It's either I get in a brand management, uh, branding somewhere there, marketing, or there's no way I'll go into killing my creativity. Because I'm a person who functions on creativity, ideas, sales is not my genre. It is not a part of me. Numbers, all that is not part of me. So I decided, you know, I'll have my end of service. And I'll, and I'll fund my brand through that. And that was what I had in the back of my mind. So I took that ticket. So this is 2017. Yes. And they tell you... 2016, you, I believe. 16, 17. Yeah. They tell you your department, the one you were working for in Unilever, is closing down. The brand activations department closed down. And they told you either you try for a sales job. Yeah. Either get interviewed for a sales job, do your job, see what happens. Or... There was no or, actually. They just said... There was no try uh, try yeah try that position. I I couldn't. There's no way. I didn't even go to the interview. Whether I'm accepted or not, I don't even want to know. Mm-hmm. I will not put myself in a position where I'm gonna kill my creativity. I'm gonna kill my passion more than it's already dying. In my perspective, perspective, that's what it looked like. Um, and at this point, when they told you, you know, try out the sales role. Did you, were you already at the phase where you knew about what Exhale was going to be? Yeah. Did you start anything at all? Yes, yes. I started, uh, I started the brand positioning, um, what we're going to sell, the product. Um, I mapped out the strategy. Uh, I mapped out the story. Um, started an Instagram page for testing. It was simply... If you go all the way down to Exhale's Instagram page, you will see illustrations. Just the idea of what I have and to see if it resonated with the audience. And it did. It was interesting. There was good comments, good feedback. Um, no one knew it was me. <laughs> I just started something called Exhale and I'm like, let's see what happens. Um, it resonated. It was nice. So I just took that path. And when the and when the department closed down, I took it as a sign. To be honest, that's my perception of, of the situation. For me, it was a sign to focus on myself and what I want to do, not what the system wants me to do. That's that. So you have an Instagram page. You first of all, you resign, and you you know you you started the brand. You saying you started the brand guidelines. Like you you know you want to build something. But at that point, what was it? It was Exhale. It was a clothing brand. A clothing brand that collaborates with artists since day one. This was since day one. Yeah. Okay. Since day one, that was the plan. And our first collaborated, collaborated collection was with the artist called uh, the artist named Hamdan Al Farasi. He killed it. He was amazing. He still is. He's an amazing artist. Our first collection with him sold out. We we produced around two hundred products, and all sold out. It was amazing. So how, I know that you do, you, you produce clothing and you sell clothes that are in line with your vision and the mission to um, really get people to reflect on themselves and also tell their stories yeah. through their clothing. Yeah. But how, how does it happen? What is the mechanic and where do you find these artists? So I scout these artists from 
different platforms. Instagram, Behance, uh, Society6. I find these artists and I get inspired by them. They're my fuel, they're my inspiration. Art is the way I can get away from reality and art is my form of self-expression too. So when I look for an artist, I look for someone who is inspiring. And then once we find that artist, or that artist finds us somehow, we collaborate on a agreed message or we collaborate we collaborate on a cause. Once we choose which way we're going, we begin the artist begins the art journey. Mm -hmm. Once the artist finalizes the art journey or his perception of and his work and it's submitted to us, we take that art and turn it into clothing. And it's not the type of clothing where you just slap it on a t-shirt and print it. It's the type of clothing where you tell a story with his art through clothing. Mm. Kind of like uh, what you're wearing now. It, yes, it, the kimono. Yeah. yeah. And, so and the is, prince. The prince. Yeah. This is the artwork he gave us, that's it. Mm -hmm. But then you turn it into a story. How? Through fabric, through combining fabrics, through through understanding what type of print or embroidery you wanna you wanna do and which way it's gonna go and the positioning of it. And every single thing and every single detail has a purpose. There's a reason. There's a reason why this kimono is linen. There's a reason why this kimono is infused with sound and fabric. There's a reason why it's embroidered. There's a reason why it's printed six times. On each side three times. So there's a purpose for everything. And this is the journey of how we collaborate with artists. Artists are supported uh, through sharing profit, through allowing them uh, a space and a platform to self-express themselves, uh, creating their own landing page on Exhale. Um, we push their PR and marketing as if we're pushing our own because they are a part of us as much as we are a part of them. So it is a platform. Yes, it is a brand, but it is a platform for artists, for creatives, for the community. Which we need more of here in the Middle East. Yes. You come from a journalism background and you've, you've already mentioned that you had zero you know, business background, mm. but you've actually managed to secure 1.8 million dirhams in funding for Exhale. How did you make that jump? When was the first time that you went and sought out investors or had someone tell you, you know, I want to I wanna put money behind this? So after they announced the closing of the brand activation department, which I took as a sign and decided to take my service and fund myself. Four months later, um, I caught up with an ex-boss of mine who owned, who owned Maestro in Riyadh. He was the founder of Maestro. Maestro today is one of the biggest events agencies in Riyadh and I worked there for a few months and I met family there genuinely I still talk to them and we're still in touch he's one of them and we caught up four months later and I haven't spoken to him in a year almost it's like what's up? coming to Dubai let's catch up great let's catch up what are you doing um, I'm leaving Unilever I was working there for a couple of years. What are you doing now? I'm open this thing called Exhale. <laughs> He's like, what is that? I'm like, I have no idea, but we're gonna find out. And I'm like, so it's kind of like a brand that's gonna collaborate with artists, allow self-expression for artists and for creatives. And it's gonna be a clothing brand. It's like, wow, it sounds really interesting. He's like, do you have do you have a business profile, 
financial debt estimate, you know, of, of what you're going to do for the next, like, five years. I looked at him like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what are all these things? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah, 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 I do. Just a little bit closer. I'm like, yes, I do. Why? He's like, I'd like to see them. Do you mind? I'm like, not at all, but just give me, like, two months so I can, like, refine them. <laughs> sure. Um, I went and learned. <laughs> you went and started creating the plan. Creating yeah, the plans, the deck, everything professionally. I mean, I had it written, scribbled down, but you can't send that to anyone. So I met up with um, a friend of mine who worked at a bank who taught me all the financial journey and how to how to project things and do things and then with other friends who knew more of business planning and strategy two months later i submitted the work and another two months and then two months uh, later he visited one more time and said i reviewed everything and he's like although i don't entirely understand what you're doing i'm going to accept your proposal i'm like you're going to accept my proposal and did your proposal include an amount of money that yes yes that you wanted from him? yes so there was a projection plan and a financial statement everything no i didn't know that i was sending it to him for investment i thought he wanted to review it to help me or to see if I'm doing things, you know, I didn't know he was an angel investor. It's not something he spoke about. So I'm like, what do you mean you're going to? He's like, I'm an, I'm an angel investor and I want to invest in you. And that's when I'm like, I just broke down <laughs> into tears. I'm like, what? <laughs> Is this a joke? But how did you convince him? I didn't convince him. He um, genuinely believed in my passion. He's like, the way you speak about your brand, the way you execute things, it's what makes a successful person. At the time, I genu genuinely didn't understand what these words or, or characteristics meant. Um, but I understand today what he saw, because today when I see it in a younger person, 19, 20, I look up to them for that fire. Because genuinely, this is the kind of attitude that brings you success. It is being resilient, consistent, and determined to imagine it, to execute it, and, and to, to believe that it's going to come to life, you know? So I think that's what he saw, and that's what made him invest. And he invested more than what I asked for. And I'm forever grateful for him to believe in me, and forever grateful for the fact that he believed in Exhale and the, and the, and the whole purpose behind it, you know? When it wasn't very tangible like it is today. How much money did he give you? So he was the one we raised 1.8 million dirhams with. Wow. And now we are going into a second round of funding, inshallah. But we believe that we should begin uh, also crowdfunding. Um, we believe the brand is for the people. And everyone should have a part of Exhale. And have the opportunity that. to invest in Exhale. 100%. And contribute in some way, whether it's 10 dirhams, anyway, 10,000, any way that you feel is comfortable for you. Because at the end of the day, this brand is for and from the people. So, yes, uh, obviously, we will do uh, bigger fundings, inshallah, but we hope that the crowdfunding is the way to go for us. I also know that um, your clothing is made from locally produced factories and they're actually organic using factories that treat their employees fairly, which is great. You know, from an ethics perspective, we rarely see companies taking that extra mile. And the notion that 
you know, you have to pay workers minimum wage to make profit and you have to take shortcuts is something that I think in general people have started to believe in. Mm-hmm. You can't succeed unless, you know, you have to outsource and you have to produce in Pakistan. You have to mm-hmm. go to Bangladesh and open your factory there. But you've actually managed to produce in the UAE as well as some other countries. So how have you made this work uh, financially? And is it profitable? It is working, but it is it is more expensive. And unfortunately, being sustainable for a startup brand especially is expensive. Um, we do our best. Uh, we try to partner up with the best who understand that the importance of sustainability and the importance for us to have it in our brand. We managed to partner with the greatest people here, um, whether it was great in heart or great in their work. They're, they're, they're hard workers who believe in sustainability, who believe in, in, in treating their people as, as they are treating themselves. So yeah. it's possible. It is possible. If you look for it, if you we want, spent, uh, I spent. When I say we, I'm talking about me, myself, and the I, and all my alter <laughs> egos. <laughs> um, so we spent a year and a half of research. The company has been running for three years as of September. This September, so a year and a half was research, development, understanding the industry, learning the business strategies, and etc. So part of that was understanding which factory to work with. We did work with China, India, um, Turkey. We did. But did I want to produce bulk all the time? Did I want to keep stock all the time? No. Would I rather pay more to have minimal? Fine. If that means I'm not keeping stock, I'm not uh, producing bulk just for the sake of producing bulk because it's cheaper. It's wasteful. It's filled with waste, yes, 100%. And also bringing them into the country, the whole hassle of that. It wasn't sustainable for me. And yes, some brands and some products are higher than what you buy at Zara or H&M. But always research why is the purpose that this price is so and if you can't find it on someone's website send them an email and ask them bluntly get educated why does this cost 150 if you genuinely want to know if you feel like you know what i want to spend this 400 or 500 but i just genuinely want to know why it's priced at 500 because if we are about to make a minimum quantity with sustainable fabric in this day and age, then I'm paying, you know, and I'm gonna have to price it at a price that maybe is not com- com- with my uh, matching with my competitors, but it's ethical. But there are ways around mm. it that need to. There, there has to be the right strategy in place Mm-mm. for you to not lose your money or to not feel like you're being ethical but nothing is coming back in return Mm-mm, okay got it so this is why it's hard to answer this question because yeah. it depends on each individual situation of course yeah so it really goes back to you know how much are you producing what are you producing uh, if you're producing something that is limited quantity try to find someone that's print on demand mm-hmm. limited uh, edition sorry print on demand okay if you don't find someone print on demand, find someone that will do it, do 30 pieces only, and then split the 30 sizes into sizes. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay, okay. And there are nowadays people who print, uh, who make 30 minimum quantity, even in China now, because they understand that this is how businesses are functioning. Yeah. No one wants to do bulk. No one so either. now they're doing it, even okay. in China. Okay. But it's way cheaper in China. Mm-mm-mm. So do I want to do it in China? Yeah, I, would. I wouldn't mind. But I want my brand to be born and raised here. 
and support the local economy and support my local entrepreneurs my local friends and family my local this is how i thrive and we should be thriving here so this is why you gotta push your partners so instead of me going to china okay price it a bit higher but don't kill me mm. you know um it's just trying to meet halfway negotiation negotiation is key okay got it So when you you spoke at uh, Nama in Sharjah, you mentioned that you face down talk as a woman, mm. and that also you've had to work twice as hard to get twice as far. Mm. What is what has been the biggest struggle as a woman? starting her own business here? I think I'm blessed to have been able to start it here in Dubai. I think I'm blessed to have been able to start it here in Dubai because I feel there's a sense and sort of comfort and help that you get. I'm not sure if I can compare it to outside because I haven't tried, but I do feel the safety that you get here is is a bit different. But on the other, or as as a woman. Hmm. Interesting question. As both, as both. But I think in general. And you wonder the times where you feel like you walk into a meeting and you're just a woman right now. Regardless of what you say and how smart you are and how much you've worked. Does that happen? Of course it does. Of course. Um, but that's not that that doesn't have to do with a with a country or with it it has to do with society. It has to do with upbringing. it has to do with traditions. It has to do with Education, a lot of it is education, educating yourself. Um, I think the most challenging path was, uh, I was young, I was around 24, 25 when I started. Suppliers um, and, and agencies and production houses a lot of them are men leaders inside. As a female 25 year old, you're barely taken seriously. True. So it's hard to have this huge vision and for someone you're working with to not see it because they see a child or they see a lady or a female, whatever you want to call it. And you're looking like... You're just as smart, you're just as hardworking. I need a team to execute. And a team that sees beyond the gender, beyond the age, beyond everything. That sees vision and execution, period. Um, yes, there was a lot of people not taking you seriously. Men not taking you seriously. Uh, men trying to maneuver their way one way or the other and I think that's the most unethical, uneducated thing men can do in business. To try to maneuver your way into a lady's life, whether it's through business or meetings or etc. I think that's just it makes it makes being a female in business harder. Constantly thinking, am I going to be looked at that way? Uh, I'm going to be. Uh, is my vision going to be seen, or am I going to be seen in a different? Do you know what I mean? So, I think the most challenging was to pick yourself, to pick myself up, and form myself in that direction. 
and create the boundaries and understand how to treat such personalities for you to grow in the direction that you want to grow without any sort of imbalance from outside, you know? So I think the most challenging part of being an entrepreneur, a female entrepreneur, is when every male-dominated industry or department isn't taking you seriously and is looking is not looking at your vision, but only looking at you. I think this is where you got to create your boundaries. You got to create your strength and, and prove yourself on the table. This is not a joke. This is not a game. I have a vision, I have a dream, and I want to execute it. Either you're with me on the table or you're not. It's as simple as that. I did have a few, maybe this is outside of the conversation, but I did have a few incidents where suppliers would, they would try to hit on me, and it's kind of disgusting. And it's like you're talking about a product. I'm gonna... So the question is, um, as a female Arab entrepreneur hmm. living here in the Middle East, what is the biggest struggle you face both as a woman and as an entrepreneur, because both both hold their own struggles. Okay, so... I feel like there's so many expectations from a female. What she should be, what she should be doing, when she should be Okay, as an Arab, as an Arab female, it, you, you have privileges here. You do. You're respected here as a female. But unfortunately, there are certain people and business owners that have their own ideologies and their own treatment that you feel you have to learn about so you can be able to protect yourself and create the boundaries needed to grow when you're in the same room as such people. So... And being resilient. Because these things will happen. Yes, these things will happen and they might break you but you have to get up and show a, that we, you can, that you will continue, despite situations, words, uh, whatever it is. Because female entrepreneurs, female investors need to be more in the forefront, especially in the Middle East. They need to be there to inspire us. The majority of the people I work with are men. The majority of the people and investors that I've spoken to are men. The women are countable on my fingers and that makes me sad. I look for them, where are they? I wanna be inspired by you. I wanna sit by your side. I want you to be part of my dream and I wanna be part of yours. Not because men are not good enough, no. But because having a female by my side is relatable, period. It's as simple as that. It is a hard journey being a female, entrepreneur, and Arab. <laughs> yes. My biggest challenge was balancing between healing my mental illness, getting to know about it, running a business that I know zero of, how to run a business, and meeting the right people to support you in your journey. 
Balancing all that was my biggest challenge. It continues to be my biggest challenge. Being an entrepreneur is not an easy path to take because there are many challenges along the way and you need the right support system, the right connections to help you through. On top of that, suffering from severe anxiety and borderline depression was not the most helpful because trying to get out of bed and run a business while you're suffering from severe anxiety and borderline depression was an effort and a half. But it also is what took me away from it. Ironically, I woke up, I wake up and yes, I'm dragging myself, but as soon as I'm in the concept of exhale and in the story of it, I forget everything. And this is why I tell you, I had to create something to live for. It's my purpose. So I know that today, actually, you finally secured a location at Sarkal Avenue. Oh, okay. Cutting this out. Yeah, cut. I, I was it. in yeah. Sarkal Avenue. In Cave. At Cave. Yeah. But we left when COVID came. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so uh, here, what I see is 3,000 happy customers. Uh, yeah, I need people that have bought online. Yes, online and offline. Okay. Eight events attended in Dubai. Okay, most admired brand of the year. And then seed funding, we talked about you support these causes. When did you win the award for the brand of the year? Uh, a month ago. Two okay. months ago. Okay, cool. So, um, a month ago, you actually won the award for the most admired brand of the year yeah. at the ninth Middle East Retail Forum. So, that's amazing, first yes. of all. Thank you. Um, and our first award. Your first award. Yes. <laughs> that's great. And you're also supporting, you know, a variety of different causes. Um, for breast cancer, for Lebanon, for Palestine. So your organization is not only, you know, about sustainable clothing, but it's 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 growing into so much more. Yes. My question to you is after, you know, everything you've been through from your mental health, from speaking out, from being louder to being a woman entrepreneur and what that means do you think that everything and and all those rough times was worth where you are today <laughs> i would never change anything it is so worth it it is so worth it and i genuinely push every single dreamer out there to begin. Just start. You don't know how or where or what, just start. You don't have money, just start. It's when you speak things into existence that they truly start unfolding themselves in front of you without you even knowing, without you even seeing. All you're doing is starting working into it just start really don't overthink it take your dream and execute it imagine it and execute it. see where it goes you have nothing to lose it's worth it hey everyone thanks for listening if you ever want to recommend someone to be on the show you can email us at mistahle at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to know more about Nawal and Exhale, you can follow them on Instagram, exhale.ae. And to follow It Was Worth It Mistahle, you can find us at It Was Worth It Podcast. See you next time.